0: Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So this morning's text brings us to Jonah, the reluctant prophet as Some Bibles refer to him. Most people know the Jonah story, or at least the first part. This past week, one of you sent me a link to footage of a kayaker in California who was whale-watching when out of nowhere, she found herself in the mouth of a humpback. The whale was after a school of fish, and the kayaker got in the way. The whale quickly spit the kayaker back out, and she was fine, just a little shook with a shirt full of fish. Of course, the news story referred back to Jonah and the similarity between the two fish tales. There are differences, of course. Jonah, the text tells us, winds up in the belly of the big fish because God calls him to go one way and he heads in the opposite direction. God calls Jonah to head to Nineveh, the belly of the Assyrian Empire, and Jonah boards a boat for a port as far away from Nineveh as he can go. God stirs up a violent storm, and Jonah tells the frightened sailors to toss him overboard to calm the storm. They do, and it does. And at God's command, the fish swallows him up. Jonah prays a prayer of thanksgiving during his three days underwater, and then the fish, again at God's command, spits him out onto dry land. That's the story most of us know, but it is only the beginning. And now I invite you to listen as I read from the third chapter of Jonah from the Common English Bible Translation. Together, let us listen for the word of God. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, Just forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. When the word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced in Nineveh by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything. No grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully. And let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. The king thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior, so God stopped planning to destroy them. And he didn't do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now you're invited to pause and reflect for a moment on the text. Amen. So one would think this is time for Jonah's victory lap. This, this should get him into the prophet's hall of fame, right? After all, other prophets preach for years and the people, their own people, do not listen at all. But the Ninevites do. It's extraordinary, really. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, perhaps the most vicious Of Israel's enemies. As Professor Roger Nam points out, Nineveh was proud of killing Judeans. If you visit the British Museum, you can see spectacular wall reliefs depicting Assyrian sieges. The famous siege of Lachish shows multiple images of Judeans being killed in multiple violent ways. An archaeologist discovered this relief in Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh. So I, for one, am sympathetic to Jonah's impulse to run or sail in the opposite direction at first. This is not a matter of a Cowboys fan marching into Lincoln Field to preach repentance. No, God is sending the prophet into the heart of enemy territory, real enemy territory territory. I'd run too, as fast as my little legs could carry me. After his time in the big fish, Jonah is apparently persuaded to go to Nineveh. After all, and when he walks only a third of the way across the city, the entire city, humans and livestock, repent and put on sackcloth. We might expect Jonah to celebrate with fist pumps whoops of joy. Now I invite you to listen as I read from the fourth chapter of Jonah. But Jonah thought this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "'Come on, Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? "'This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier.'" I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love and willing not to destroy. At this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me because it would be better for me to die than to live. The Lord responded, is your anger a good thing? But Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. There he made himself a hut and sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a shrub, and it grew up over Jonah, providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about the shrub. But God provided a worm the next day at dawn, and it attacked the shrub so that it died. Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Jonah said, Yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. But the Lord said, you pitied the shrub for which you did not work and which you did not raise. It grew in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? This too... Is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, many of us tried our best to listen to Marie Kondo and her book, The Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up. She taught us or tried to teach us to clean out our homes by asking one central question Does this sock or shirt or fishing rod or VHS tape bring you joy? There were abundant jokes about throwing out washing machines, credit card bills, and even spouses and children, but her question pushed me to deeper reflection. Now, I still have not managed to get my sock drawer under control, but her words linger with me. I have a bowl that sits on my dresser filled with extra buttons, a small notebook, and some safety pins, among other things. And with the exception of the notebook, I'm fairly certain that I am not hanging on to those buttons or any of the other random things in there because they bring me joy. I hang on to them, especially those buttons, because I think I'm supposed to. And I'm afraid that the second I pitch them, I will need them. Different translations have different takes on God's question to Jonah. But this week, it was the Common English Bible's translation that stuck with me. Is your anger a good thing? And Jonah's response? The first time God asks after the whole of Nineveh repents, Jonah says nothing and hightails it out of the city. God makes a plant grow to give Jonah shade, and Jonah is enamored with the shade giver. Then God causes an end to the shade and the shade giver and Jonah is at the end of his rope. And God asks again a second time, is your anger about the plant a good thing? And Jonah insists, yes, even if it kills me. Is your anger a good thing? I think it matters that God does not say flat out that anger in every form is bad. Scripture tells us that God is slow to anger, but that does not mean that God does not get angry. God is angry countless times throughout Scripture when the people are unfaithful, when orphans and widows are tossed aside, when the poor are trampled by the whims of the powerful. Jesus himself is angry enough to turn over tables in the temple. But God wants to know if Jonah believes this anger, his own anger, right now is a good thing, a pleasing thing, a holy thing. Perhaps this question lingered lingered with me this week because there have been times when I have hung on tightly to my anger. If Marie Kondo asked me if my beloved anger brought me joy, I might not have responded with a yes, But I might have tucked it back in a drawer to keep it safe. After all, I might need it someday. It might come in handy at some point. Or at least that's what I tell myself. Anger, as you know, has been having a moment of late. We, along with the rest of the world, have found so many reasons to be angry, not simply in general, but at or with other human beings. They have done terrible things. They have been awful. I'm guessing that if we're honest, many of us would admit that we are not happy with the idea of God's grace being poured out on them, whoever they may be. Like Jonah, we, we church types know that God is a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. And when pressed we may admit that it frustrates the squat out of us. They do not deserve God's mercy. They do not deserve God's love. My anger is quite justified, thank you very much. I'll keep it right here, tucked in my pocket where I can keep it warm. But is your anger a good thing? God insists on asking Jonah and really me again. God is not shaming Jonah, nor is God shaming me. The truth is that God loves the Ninevites. God loves Jonah, and God loves me. God does not love the Ninevites because they turn toward him or because they repent. God longs for them to repent, to turn toward him because he loves them. Not one of them is disposable Or expendable in God's eyes, and neither is Jonah, nor am I, nor are you. God longs for all of God's beloved children to repent, to turn and follow where God leads, which it so happens is toward the good thing, the good one. The days ahead may prove to be tricky for us as a nation. There are those who are gleeful this morning, and there are those who are frightened. There are some who are bitter, and there are some who are gloating. They are beloved, one and all. We are beloved, one and all, whether we like it or not. And God would love for all of them to repent, and God would love for all of us to repent, to let go of all that we are nursing, the grudges we have tucked away for safekeeping, the anger we are attached to that does not bring us or anyone joy. My smugness, my anger, my grudges, my carefully tucked away grievances will not sustain me. So God asks me to consider what will. God calls to me to turn from all that eats away at me and return to what is in fact good and pleasing and holy in God's sight. In the end, it is God's good love that sustains me, God's good grace that saves me, and God's good mercy that enables me to let go of the things I have held too tightly. Because truth be told, there are many days when I cannot tell my right from my left. And it is the one good God who saves me. And it is God alone who offers me anything and everything that brings me true and lasting joy. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.